When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to care and the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Dan Sinclair, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson and I'm joined by Callum Williams. Cal, before we get into the Super Draft, it is the day of the Super Draft. My Netflix recommendation for the week is Lupin. I believe it is very popular right now on Netflix and I had a friend recommend it to me. It is a French heist burglary show uh, and I love a good heist show and it's super charming it's great. It's like five episodes uh, to the end of part one, which is a bit of a cliffhanger. So hopefully there's a part two on the way. But have you, have you heard of Lupin? I, tremend- I recommend it highly. Um, it popped up. You know when you open up Netflix and there's always that premiere show that they're trying to, to force down your throats? Yes. That was how I saw it. And, and it's on the list for sure. But um, I've been doing a lot of traveling, Steve, so I've not had a chance to, to watch much. But in, in terms of, of recommendations, whilst we're on that subject, highly recommend a podcast called The Crafty Roads, which is oh, yeah. uh, recorded here in the Twin Cities uh, by an Australian and a Northern Irish chap. Um, it's full of laughs, mainly soccer talk, um, some other real-world conversations for sure as well. Um, but it's very funny. I think they are extremely sharp. And I think they give the men in blazers a run for their money. I really do. Ooh, big talk. Um, big shout, I know. Yeah, I, got, I, I, I have listened to it a couple times. I don't listen to podcasts anymore because I don't go anywhere. So I'm usually I rely on going to and from work to get my podcasts in. So uh, occasionally when I shovel snow, I will listen to podcasts. But uh, mowing the lawn is a great time too. But I don't mow the lawn anymore because there's snow obviously everywhere. So... Um, but that is, a, that is a good one to check it out. One last note on Lupin for anybody checking it out. Uh, if, you, if you just play it, it will play the dubbed version uh, where there's people speaking English, uh, even though it's in French. I tried to hang with that for a little bit. And then pretty quickly, my wife and I were like, let's just turn on subtitles. Because there's something about, to me, dubbing is like, it's like when somebody is, is, is talking and you're like, what, what, what is that? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, it feels like they're saying something else and then something is being put over the top of it. So I would prefer to just read the subtitles um, and, and hear the French. Uh, you know, I, I speak a little bit of French. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 it helps me hear a little French. So I like it. I'm with you completely, Steve. Dubbing always makes me laugh because you're obviously different languages of different dialects and everything. And, and you, you will hear something being said. And then the person is still talking as the sentence has completely stopped, as the words have stopped coming out of the mouth, and all you can see is, and it's a bit, bit distracting, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I, don't, you completely. 
I don't hate it on animation, you know, like there's some people like I, Hayao Miyazaki is one of my favorite directors. He did Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke and a lot of fantastic films. And a lot of people swear by watching the originals with subtitles. Um, if it's in a foreign if it's in a foreign language and it's animation, obviously it's already sort of, it, it can be a little bit flexible with, with how the mouths move. So I don't mind it as much on that. But yeah, for actual, for actual film, uh, I am all about subtitles. Let's talk about the Super Draft. It is today at 1 p.m. Uh, Central Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I have to make that adjustment every time I get a notice from the league about what time everything is happening. Um, a couple things to just lead off with, some adjustments uh, for the draft this year. This was something that I, f- I found interesting. I was actually not aware of it until I spoke to uh, Amos McGee, the director of player personnel, the other day. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, for this year, because of the weirdness of, of the pandemic and, and seasons being canceled and possibly players playing in the spring, um, they're allowing teams to select players and then let them continue their college eligibility playing in the spring or maybe even the fall before starting in, in 2022 to give them uh, a little more evaluation time. Amos talked about it sort of akin to the MLB draft, I believe, which is like you could either... Uh, take somebody who's done with college or you can take somebody and then you have their draft rights, but they go to college and everything like that. It seems, it seems like a good idea. And one of those things, maybe you would want to consider just perpetuating um, in order to give teams a little more flexibility because we've talked before and I've talked to some of the players as well about, you know, the oddness, you know, college soccer is, is important and it, it is what it is. It produces good players, but it's like, Players play in an incredibly compressed window. They play a lot of games in a short amount of time. It's not like seeing, you know, players over the course of a whole season. Um, Almost to a person, every draftee who plays college soccer, who I've talked to, hits that, hits a wall somewhere because they're used to the season being, you know, three months. And then instead in, in, in MLS, it's, you know, eight months, nine months, something like that. So, um, so it seems like a, a good idea. Maybe they want to consider sort of carrying this into just regular draft behavior, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, it it takes a little bit less pressure off just about everybody. I think um, it allows you to to continue to evaluate as well, whilst also allowing um, the young individual to to carry on playing as well. Um, particularly from from the notion of what you just mentioned, Steve, in terms of them carrying on playing collegiate soccer as well, because that that's the biggest issue I think that. Um, that certain major league soccer teams have got to deal with, and that's not having anywhere for the young lads to play. Um, you're okay if you've got a USL affiliate. You're okay if you've got some sort of understanding or an agreement that um, your young players will, will go and play at this certain uh, USL team um, or, or elsewhere. But um, for those that don't, um, it can be tricky. And Minnesota have absolutely been in this conversation in the past. Um, you'll remember in 2018, um, they wanted to try, desperately they wanted to try and get Carter Manley out on loan and play some meaningful minutes. And it took them a lot longer than, than what it really should have done. Um, through no fault of their own, um, it was just difficult trying to find somebody, to, to find a team that was in need of a right back at that particular stage. And eventually, obviously, he ended up going out on loan. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's a lot easier if you've got, um, you know, an affiliate or, or a USL team of some sort. Um, they, don't, they don't come cheap, by the way. You know, it's not as simple as, right, well, click the fingers and here's a USL team for you to, to you know, 
put all your players in, you know, it's running costs. That I think I saw something the other day suggesting it's something like $250 million to to launch and run your own USL team uh, every year. So, again, that's not cheap. Um, but um, it's the, the, the point I'm, I'm making here, Steve, is that um, if that's not an option, then it seems to be the next best thing by saying to people, right, well, you can carry on playing collegiate soccer and we'll continue to assess you. You've got, you know, we've got your rights, so we're going to continue to assess you and we'll go from there. And I think that that seems to be, seems to be a good thing moving forward for sure. Yeah, and I think that the, the the question of you know rights is always a is is can be a gray area. And the question of you know I know this has come up before with as far as like discovery and who has rights to different players based on you know where they're from or things like that. It gets it gets hairy, but it's one of those things that it can always be negotiated. It's it's one of those mechanisms that that you know if you have the rights to a player, you can you can maybe it's possible to trade those rights. Maybe it's a way to get other things out of the deal. This is now I'm you know we've talked about it a little before getting on air, but. Um, I'm working on an article looking at all these budget mechanisms uh, for roster roster creation and things like that. And so now I'm thinking about everything in terms of these like moving pieces for how how all the parts fit together. Um, and so things like having rights to a player is one of those things that teams can trade to turn them into assets. And I think that's a helpful way, especially now to look at at, at the draft. We're going to get into Minnesota's uh, sort of draft history a little bit here, and um, and it's a thing that. Um, it's it's one way that it's the, this draft is different than a lot of other drafts that I think you you can't just simply look at it as like did you get a player and did that player play a lot for you and then retire as a player on your team um, th- that's not really how it works you know players um, they can do well and then what can you get for them farther down the line you know can they help your your team in the, uh, in the can they provide essential minutes but then can you move them for something else down the line. Um, th- sort of starting from that place, looking back at Minnesota's draft history in, in, in 2018, um, you know, obviously in 2017 drafted Abu Dunlady, who uh, had a great first season um, and, and, and has looked good in stints, but obviously was taken in the expansion draft by, by Nashville has always sort of struggled with, with injury. So hasn't, um, you know, didn't, didn't, pay out the way you would hope a number one pick would but in 2018 uh drafted mason toy and wyatt omsberg um wyatt omsberg was incredibly tall um and plays and this you know it, he he was traded for to chicago i believe um for raheem edwards who had some solid stints for the loons last season and then mason toy is ultimately really a, a success story for minnesota united i think at this point if you look at the fact that um drafted interestingly bought uh, that draft pick, the seventh pick uh, from Montreal for 150,000 gam drafted Mason toy and then traded him back to Montreal for 600,000 gam um, and was a generation Adidas player. Uh, and so essentially cost Minnesota nothing uh, that during that time, that's huge. Like that's, that's a, that's a good payout actually. You know, like, so I think, I think, you know, Mason is, is a great guy and um, still has, a you know, has potential to become a really good player. Um, I hope he does for Montreal, but as far as just those investment pieces, I mean, how can you say no to paying 150,000 and getting $600,000 back down the line? <laughs> Mason Toy was an incredible success story from a, a business point of view for Minnesota United for sure. Um, and, and, and let's not forget as well, Steve, Minnesota were able to grab the money that they did um, under the impression and understanding that Mason Toy was going to run down his MLS contract and go on a free transfer to, to Europe at some stage as well. 
So um, knowing all of that, um, I, I think it's an incredible piece of business from, from Minnesota United. I really do. Um, he got better, no doubt, throughout the years. He was incredibly raw when he first came to the club. I remember um, in, in a, what seems like another world nowadays, um, being up at the training centre and staying behind and watching some of the finishing drills that, that he would do. Um, worked a lot with Adrian Heath and particularly with assistant coach Ian Fuller. Um, and, um, you know, there was a lot to work on. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to be unkind, but there was a lot to work on. He he was a natural athlete, but he only started playing soccer at the age of fourteen, to my knowledge. Um, and and here he here he was at nineteen. So there was a lot to learn. You know, in in high school soccer, it was very much the case of he would get the ball, he would put the ball past somebody, and then he had the the space and he had the the time and and particularly the pace to to get past people. Uh, and just run at people and, and shoot from range and score goals. And it was no problem with high school stuff, but it's not how the professional game works. It's all about timing and precision and uh, body shape and composure and, and all of the above, you know. And um, Mason had a lot to work on and, and still has a lot to work on. And I, I look, I, I hope he does really well in Montreal. I think just about everybody at the club does, really. Um, he's got a fabulous person to learn from, uh, to learn from his, his hero, Thierry Henry. Um, but as you said, ultimately, I think the timing was right to, to sell when they did because, like I said, to, unless things have changed, to my knowledge, he still wants to go to Europe. Um, and, you know, he's still young. Um, MLS, I'm sure, will always be an option for him. Um, so I understand that the the lust to go abroad, I get it. Um, but let, let's just let's just see what happens over the next six six to eight months because I think it could be a really pivotal time in his career for sure. Yeah, um, and then the year after 2019, obviously, I don't know how much more needs to be said about drafting Dane St. Clair, Chase Gasper, and Hassani Dotson. That's really, I think, one of the best hauls from any draft that any team has gotten over the last several years. Um, so again, Minnesota United just doing, doing well. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on those guys, but I feel like we've talked about them recently and we're going to keep, um, talking about them into the future, but, um, but yeah, anything, anything you wanted to add on, on, on 2019 and making those, those fantastic selections. Well, like you said, Steve, it, it was probably one of the best draft classes, um, from, a um, teams picking individuals ever in major league soccer. Um, to get the three players that Minnesota did. We, we knew the potential was ripe, um, but to actually thrust them into the first team in the manner in which they were put into it uh, was wonderful. It really was. Um, and they all had um, they all had solid second years. Um, I think Dane St. Clair obviously was, was the more advanced of them all because he didn't, didn't play in, in 2019. Um, and I think there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of potential for the, for the three players moving forward. But I, I would go as far as saying, Steve, given the pick that Hassani Dotson was, which was 31, remember, that means just about everybody in Major League Soccer passed on him. Minnesota obviously had already drafted uh, St. Clair and Gasper at that stage, but for a long time they had their eyes on Dotson. And... I think it, it's a testament to those who are a part of the scouting department or, or who, who were a part of the scouting department at that stage to identify him because nobody else really saw him uh, as being a, a major option. And so to, to go and, and pick him, to go and pick someone like that 
at pick 31, um, to me, it is whoever decided to make that pick deserves a, a major pat on the back because I would go as far as saying, Steve, I think Asani Dotson could be identified as the best draft pick ever, at least at this point in Minnesota United's history, because of what I think he's going to go and, and become. Um, it's very easy to, to say that after the first two years of his career. Um, I think it's t- tough to, to judge anybody in 2020, but certainly 2019 was a wonderful campaign from him. Um, and, he, and he gave us a glimpse of, of what could potentially be. So um, I'm excited to, to see what, what Asani Dodson can, can become. Um, I think, as I said, we've, we've already seen little snippets of it. But for, for me, in my opinion, considering the number at which Minnesota drafted him at, um, I think Asani Dotson, as it stands, is the best draft pick Minnesota United have had in their short MLS history. Yeah, absolutely. I think Asani's got potential to be one of those uh, Kawhi Leonard, um, Giannis Anadokounmpo type, you know, late picks, you know, who who went sort of under the radar uh, for whatever reason. I mean, in Hassani's case, probably because of the program and things like that, like the size of the program. But getting a guy like that is is huge. We're going to get into uh, some some questions from fans, uh, but in, in a moment. But right now, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. All right, so we went to the tweeters, the tweeters and asked for some, some fan questions. Um, uh, I'll just sort of pick and choose a little bit. Some people's questions overlap. So uh, I'll start with saying uh, knock of the north, not really a question, just said needs versus wants. Uh, but I presume it's sort of a question of what are you, what are you looking for? Uh, what is the team looking for in, in, this, in this draft? I think that I'm going to start by talking about, um, and again, because my, this is where my head is at, there's essentially three mechanisms for getting players uh transfers or trades so you know bringing players from outside of of the league or transfers within the league uh the super draft and then academies i think that's it right that's basically how players get here uh and if you think about these they all have different um uh sort of long-term versus short-term uh expensive uh versus cheap transfers and trades fill needs immediately you're usually if you're doing that you're getting a guy you know to say this is the guy we need for this point sometimes you you, you're investing in a younger player but a lot of the times to say this is our need we're filling it um but it's obviously the most the greatest immediate expense it costs a significant amount of money to get somebody in uh homegrown players can appear relatively cheap uh, and can also be sold for profit, as we've seen in, in MLS between, you know, the Philadelphia Union doing a great job, Alfonso Davies, obviously a huge success story. But running an academy is extremely expensive, like overall as an expense. Obviously, you're, you're bringing in lots of kids to hopefully find one of those kids that turns into a $17 million, $20 million life transfer fee. Um, Minnesota United is right now in the process of creating a youth development program, uh, sort of changing the way uh, things are done to, to address the way that Minnesota particularly is with youth soccer. And hopefully that pays dividends, but it's not really there yet. So the academy is not a, sort of a pipeline for Minnesota. The super draft is extremely cheap. Um, you know, especially when you're looking at Generation Adidas players and things like that, you're essentially um, picking these players up with there's no transfer fee or anything like that. But it can also pay dividends, as we said about Mason Toy. Um, so it's one of those things that 
the draft, obviously, you're not, you're not filling your specific need necessarily right away, um, nor are you investing long term in something that might pay off in, in, in millions of dollars. It can happen. But it is sort of this middle ground of it's cheap and you can get value. Uh, you can turn that value into something more. Um, it seems like looking at the draft this year for Minnesota, the outstanding needs, sort of if you're just looking at needs on the table, is a forward. Uh, you know, who can keep up with Reynoso, be at that level and work with Reynoso or, or wing depth, you know, having uh, Kevin Molino going to the Columbus crew. Uh, filling either of those roles is not likely uh, from the draft and not certainly in the immediate future. Um, I think that best player available, which is a phrase uh, often uttered about the draft, like you don't pick somebody who you need in a particular position. You say, this is the best person on the board. I'm going to take them. Uh, that's always an option. But I think if you're looking just sort of at that forward wing position, there's really nothing wrong with picking one and seeing what you get. You know, uh, again, if you're thinking about these different mechanisms, worst case, it doesn't, co- it costs you very little and gets you nothing, like n- nothing pans out. Best case, you find a diamond in the rough and somebody who can contribute now or in the future, uh, you know, who can either become a regular starter or it can be a depth piece. Or it can be sold on to, you know, another club that needs one of those pieces. Again, forwards and wingers are very valuable. Um, that, you know, Adrian Heath never tires of saying that's why they get paid the money they do because getting goals is the hardest thing. So if you find somebody who can get goals, even if it's, they don't fit in your long-term plans, you can move them on for, for money somewhere else. So that's sort of where I'm thinking about the needs versus wants. I think before Minnesota United has drafted for need in certain positions, um, balancing needs and wants with just uh, uh, the, the 25th pick in the first round and the 11th pick in the second, is that right? In the second round, I'm trying to remember. Okay. Um, you know, we're talking about the deep draft. So I think it's time for a flyer. You know, you, you go for what you can get. And, uh, you know, I know they've done their research as we've seen Minnesota United knows how to do a draft. So pick it and see what you got. The team is pretty solid front to back as of, as of right now with a couple of places that are hoping to be filled, you know, through transfers uh, in, in the future. So that's where I think the team's at. What about you, Cal? This is the thing about it, Steve. Um, the team are not as deep as, as the coaching staff would like it to be but it is a deep roster. Um, and, and I think um, it, it's, you know, we could possibly have said that coming into last year's roster as well, although there, there were certain needs for backup positions here and there. Um, after you uh, spoke to Amos McGee, um, and after we had a little chance to, to chat to him, um, it was still sort of unclear as to, to what really the, the hope is from this draft. I, I sort of, to my understanding, um, they could potentially be looking for somebody that they could, could grow and develop. But in this league, um, I think it's always handy to have individuals that can come in and, and contribute straight away when needed, if they are there and available. Um, so for me, straight away, Steve, you know, you, you mentioned some of the positions where there is a need right now. There's an obvious need. The most obvious of them all is Minnesota need a centre-forward. They need a goal-scoring centre-forward. They need a proven centre-forward. Um, they need someone who is going to go and score 15, 20 goals a year. Do you get that in the draft? It's very unlikely. But that doesn't mean you can't go and draft a young kid uh, who is impressed um, and can be considered a backup player and can be considered someone who would push um, the centre-forwards that will be on the roster um, you know, whenever that will be. Um, I've also wondered as well, do, do they perhaps have a look at, at a, a backup number 10? Um, 
because that that's something off the top of my head. That's something that they don't, from a, a natural position point of view, that's something they don't really have. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past, when the number ten has not been available, Minnesota have often um, switched into a four three three, sometimes to a four four two. Uh, certainly in transition. So I wonder, um, would they perhaps look at a number 10? But again, it comes down to what's available. Um, I keep hearing about this young kid, Daniel Pereira, uh, who's a a young uh, Venezuelan player, um, who I'm told is a a number 10. Mm -hmm. And he um, uh, is very highly rated. Um, Now, the the, the problem for Minnesota is, is he going to be available at pick number 25? Probably not. <laughs> so unless they want to trade up, if they see real value there, and unless they, they want to try somewhere else, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. The only other area that I would see in need of depth, Steve, is, is probably, again, it's an area that, that has plenty of depth, um, but it's the centre of midfield as well. You know, do, do you go and have um, a young player come in to learn from, you know, Will Trapp and, and Jan Grigush and if he returns, Ozzy Alonso and, and what have you, you know, and, and, and arguably we've already got that with Hassani Dotson and Jacoby Hayes, you know, but, but is there room for another? Maybe I, I don't know. Um, is there room for another centre-back? You know, we, we don't know the situation with, with one or two of the players there. So I don't know um, that there's certainly players incoming um, in the left-back department. Um, so I don't think there's a need there. Um, Right back, I think the team are fine with Noah Billingsley and Homan Mitsanier. Uh, and obviously, Asani Dodson can go there if, if needed. And goalkeeping area is is the least of Minnesota's problems right now. So, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think, you know, perhaps a young centre-forward um, who could be viewed as someone who would push and, and challenge. Um, but also, I, I could see, uh, you know, a number 10 for sure. Um, um We'll wait and see. Who knows, Steve? Because as I said, with the 25th pick, 25th pick, um, it, I think at that point, it, it, you, you said it earlier on, it's got to be at that stage, right, who's the best player available and what position do they play? Right, okay. We'll take a punt and we'll go and take this lad. Yeah, I think I think Cal that the the, the midfield is 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 interesting as you said. There's there's good depth there, but we also saw last season with um, you know players like Marlon Harrison and and James Musa even at times like getting a guy who can sort of float anywhere like from fullback to defensive mid to a little box to box like a utility player. Um, you know, if, especially if they're young and not completely defined yet, you know maybe they can have a tool set that could help at times. Um, as far as, you know, a younger center forward you're talking about, you know, we saw, it never hurts to have depth. It's not a thing that Minnesota has often had. I was looking at, I think it was Houston acquiring another center forward and there's something like eight forwards on the roster. And I'm like, what is that like? Because Minnesota has rarely had more than two or three. Um, but we saw Aaron Schoenfeld, you know, come in at, at, at high leverage moments sometimes last year and, and, and do work again. Mason toy is somebody who got a chance to show what he could be uh, and, and benefited, you know, the club from making, you know, when the club made a move, it benefited the club. So uh, I, I think it's not bad to take a flyer on a, a young forward and see what they can do. Um, Let's see. I was going to look at the center back depth. Let's, let's talk about center back depth now um, because that, it came up in your, in your response. Jesse Haroldson uh, wanted to know about adding, adding center backs, you know, having added Callum Montgomery, who's a young uh, center back with a great first name. Uh, yet again, proving my uh, hypothesis that everyone named Callum is involved in soccer in one way or another. Um, you know, given that the core is, you know, you're looking at Opara, Boxy, Debasi are all, 
30 or older. Um, Brent Coleman, who's not a done deal, but, you know, could be back as, is, is 30 now. Um, that's an old group of center backs. I'm not super concerned about it because, again, Boxy, which we said last time, Iron Man, like, just will never stop uh, going. Uh, and I think we saw last season with, you know, like Jose Aja, who, who contributed. You can sign guys. You can find center backs who are, you know, who are available. Um, you can make the most of those signings. So I don't know if you necessarily need to get some kind of young center back of the future at this at this point, but having multiple options and depth at that at that position is a good thing. Yeah, it's never a bad thing to have depth. I'm interested to see how uh, Callum Montgomery fits in to the group. Um, I, look, should Brent Coleman do a deal? Uh, I think it's obvious Montgomery will be fifth choice centre back, and and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Unless you come at least at the start, you know, mm. uh, of the training camp, and and then we'll we'll assess. I'm sure, but um, <laughs> you never know. You never know. Maybe they see a centre back and they think, oh, we actually really like the way he has the ball at feet. He reminds us of Ico Parra, you know, five or six years ago. Um, he reminds us of, of somebody that we could really use. Um, maybe they see a, a holding midfielder who, who they liken to Alonso and they, they see the qualities. That, I don't know, Steve, but I, I think that the centre-back depth, I, I'm with you. I don't think there's much need to, to worry. I, I know that the core is over 30, but it's not like they're 35, you know, they're 30, 31, 32. Still good age for, for professional soccer as a, as a centre-half. Um, it, it would be really, in my opinion, um, next year where you really start to think, OK, 33 now. Um, maybe we need to go and, and have a look at the situation long-term. But, but right now, heading into this campaign, I, I have no issues with centre-half whatsoever. Um, let's move, uh, knock of the North who asked that other question and followed up with the question, Cal, about, uh, the consensus number one pick, uh, for my money, I haven't seen anyone at the top of a draft board who isn't, uh, Philip Mayaka. I'm going to just guess that's a pronunciation. Um, MLS, uh, uh, Matt Doyle said he's the most obvious number one pick since Kyle Lahren in 2015. Um, it, I haven't, I watched a little bit of video just after I got the question. Um, you know, he's, he looks good, but <laughs> it's hard to know <laughs> how to evaluate that. You're just watching pass the ball, but uh, obviously people like his tool set. What, uh, what do you know about Philip uh, Mayaka? Just that he's, he's been described as dynamic. Um, he's fast. He's strong. Um, he's everything you would want as a first-year player, really. You know, he's got all the attributes. He's an athlete. Question is now is, is can he do it from a technical point of view, you know, and, and that will surely come now. Um, over the next few months in terms of training and what have you and, and, and sort of starting to, to mould his technique because that, that tends to be the, not issue, but it, it tends to be the one thing that a lot of college players uh, need to work on and that's the techniques, the technical side of the game. Um, and, and I'm not suggesting for one bit that the collegiate players in this country aren't technical because that's, that's not what I'm saying. They are, they're very good and there's a reason why they're involved in the drafts. Um, but... Um, in terms of, of doing it consistently at, at the MLS level, of course you're, you're going to need training. Of course you're going to need to, to undergo some, some sessions with uh, players that have been doing it for years and coaches that have been doing it for years. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, as I said, I, I've seen um, everything from, from an athletic point of view that would probably suggest what, what Matt has said and said, yeah, he, he's certainly in the top three. 
Um, the other one that I, I have heard a lot about is uh, another one with a, a great name, Calvin Harris, um, who, um, uh, again, I, I've heard is, is very smart. Um, he, he actually has very good technique. Um, he's, he's somebody who I would see going in, in the, the top five. Um, so we'll, we'll wait and see. It depends on what the needs are of, of other teams as well, Steve. I mean... <laughs> again there's so much on the number one pick isn't there in this country um and, and even in in this league where it's it's not as um not, not as prevalent and, and what have you but um i um I, I do wonder what what austin fc need from this draft um obviously they have the number one pick and, and maybe there's an area of need for them and, and they'll go and draft somebody who's no one's even talked about you know so um We'll wait and see, but but in terms of the two names that, that we've mentioned, I would expect them to go in the top five. Um, there's teams that do need attacking players. Um, obviously, Minnesota is one of those teams, but um, I'd be surprised if Minnesota were to trade up um, mm-hmm. at this point now. I think if they were going to do it, they probably would have already done it. But <laughs> we have seen in this situation late trades being done. Um, right before the draft pick, you know, enjoy the timeouts and have you. But um, I, I'd be very surprised, Steve, if Minnesota were, were to trade up. Um, yeah. But stranger things have happened. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But um, going off of what, what we've said, I would expect those two names to go in the top five for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's do a couple of quick hits here. Just uh, a little, little spin around the league. I wanted to get your impressions on some, some more coaching news, which again is sort of the stuff that's happening. Aaron Losada to DC United, 38 years old, youngest coach in MLS. Your, uh, your quick take on Losada. He's got a good reputation in Belgium. He played the majority of his career in Belgium. Um, my major concern is that he's only been a head coach since 2018. Um, now, people can adapt to the situations quicker than others. Uh, people can certainly take to it more naturally than others, um, much quicker as well. Uh, but that's my immediate concern. And, and, and I must admit, I'm quite surprised at this one because I, I, it's obvious that they see it as a long-term thing with him being the age that he is, as you mentioned, Steve. But knowing some of the candidates that went in for the job, these are proven candidates, and, and other people, other assistant coaches around the league that I think are more than, than worthy of an opportunity. Uh, I'm quite surprised they've gone this route. Um, but like you said, they see something, perhaps they see it as a long-term solution. Um, it, it, it is literally a case of let's wait and see. But, but my immediate concern is that he's only been a head coach since 2018. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a bad coach. It just brings up the question, is he experienced enough for a job of this magnitude. And, and look, let's not make any mistake here. This is a big season for DC United. Uh, they are the original league darling, in my opinion, with all of the trophies that they have in the cabinet from the early, um, to, from the, the mid to late 90s. Um, so we'll wait and see, but it's a big job for him, nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, it, just based on, on chatter I've seen on Twitter, Cal, just that, you know, DC United, obviously sort of woeful for a number of years and then had uh, Wayne Rooney and sort of goose DC United there, but it didn't sort of turn into sustained success or anything like that. So you're sort of at a position where it's like, okay, see what we can do. We'll get a young guy, uh, give him his chance. If it doesn't pan out, you give him, you know, a couple of years, you're not really losing time. Um, you know, like you're not wasting the end of Wayne Rooney's career or anything at this point there, you know, so it's sort of in rebuild mode. Why not go with somebody young, see what they can provide. Uh, also Cal, your countryman, Phil Neville 
it happened uh, with with Inter Miami. Um, nepotism or good choice? <laughs> I look. We I, I say this with all due respect. I don't mean to be disrespectful to, to Phil Neville. We know why this has happened. He's, he's got a very powerful friend who's in charge at Inter Miami, um, and look, he he did he did, um, he did a decent job with the Lionesses with the the England national team and the um, women's national team. Um, I just think I find it a bit odd, Steve, um, because of of the the expectation of Inter Miami. Um, I, I just don't see how Phil Neville is going to walk in and say there's a few results gone the wrong way. I don't see how he's going to command the dressing room. Um, there's some big characters there. Um, Blaise Matuidi, um, Gonzalo Higuain, uh, just to, to name a few, Rodolfo Pizarro as well. There's some big players there who, who will need um, an experienced manager and, and a manager that is respected worldwide. I don't think Phil Neville fits that that category. Um, from a playing perspective, sure, yeah, he had a great career, but um, I, I hope I'm wrong. But I just do not see this working out at all. Yeah, lots of hope for the um, sort of the reverse Ted Lasso. So bring bring in the Englishman <laughs> over to the over to the American game. We'll see if he can succeed there. Last thing I wanted to touch on, Cal, uh, player transfer news: Jordan Morris to Swansea. Um, your take on that one what does this mean for the sounders what does this mean for you know obviously it's another it's another uh mls player with hot prospects going to england that's that's uh, seems always good for mls overall uh but man morris was, morris was great i think the sounders are going to really are going to miss him quite a bit this year yeah um i think we've spoken about this before steve and certainly my feelings of of um players of his caliber in this league going to um, Europe and going to certain leagues. I think gone are the days, well, look, it's it absolutely proven now, gone are the days where MLS would lose big players such as Jordan Morris to, to Scandinavian leagues and, and, you know, Central European leagues and what have you. It's actually the other way around now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are only, when you're Jordan Morris and uh, I believe he's still 26, you're absolutely right at the peak of your prime. Um, I understand the want to go because, once again, MLS will, will always be an option for him because he's a national team player. Uh, he's more than proven himself in this league. It will always be an option for him. It's also only a loan move as well. So if, if it doesn't work out, he can come back to the Sounders, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've always said this about players going over to Europe from, from MLS now. If you're going, you've got to go to one of those leagues that are viewed as, as top draw and, and, and are viewed as, as being some of the best um, and certainly better than, than MLS. The championship, in my opinion, at the top end of it is better than, than MLS. Um, and I, I, I actually don't think the level of players that he's going to be playing with consistently is too different at all from the, the level of players that he'll be playing with at Seattle Sounders that he has played with at the Sounders. Um, but... So usually, Steve, I would say to somebody who wants to go to the championship from MLS, um, I actually said to a player many, many moons ago, I wouldn't do it. And, and I, I 
continue to have that mindset. I wouldn't do it. If you're going to go, you know, when, um, what was it, when, when Reggie Cannon, uh, what, a couple of months ago, was linked to, to Barnsley in the championship, I said, don't do it. Don't do it. And I say this with all due respect to Barnsley, don't do it. Because you're just going to be a mid-table team in the championship. You may have a, a relegation scrap from time to time, but you're not going to progress, um, especially when you're coming from somewhere like FC Dallas, where everything is built on progressing young players. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I will take a turn in this situation because I understand why Jordan Morris has gone to Swansea because last time I checked, Steve, they're second in the championship and there is a, a, a genuine opportunity to play in the Premier League within the next uh, you know, seven to eight months. Yeah. So I understand it from, from that point of view. But usually I would say I, I don't see the reason why you would go um, other than to experience it from another, from a cultural point of view, life point of view, all, all that sort of stuff, which I understand. But from purely from a footballing point of view, I, I don't. I, I would usually not understand a move like this. But um, the counter argument is: okay, you go, you do well, you get spotted, you get bought by somebody else. In, in which case, I understand. But um, in his point of view, right now in his career. Um, I think a loan move is really, really smart um, because it is um, low-risk, high-reward for just about everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's not going to disappear down this cavernous hole that we can't ever find him again if he doesn't do well. He's going to come back to MLS um, and for one of the better teams. But um, I understand it, Steve, because it, the, the gamble could very well pay off here if Swansea do well and go up to the Premier League. All of a sudden, Jordan Morris is potentially a Premier League player. So I get it. Uh, I understand it this time, um, and I'm very interested to see what happens with him. Yeah, when you when you lay it all out like that, Cal, it seems like the, the sort of risk-reward makes sense um, across a bunch of different parameters there. As you said, it's a loan deal, and so, you know, if, if you know, he comes back to Seattle having had a good good spell in Swansea, fantastic. If he becomes an important player for a team that earns promotion to, you know, to the EPL, like, so much the better. That's great for him. So, um, so yeah, it, you know, like it's, it's one of those things that I'll be sorry to see him go in the sense that I enjoy teams being good. And, and Seattle has, has been fantastic with him. He's really fun to watch with Rui Diaz and Ladero. Um, but you know, good for him. Swansea is fun to say. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good word. So, um, <laughs> that's all about, all about all I have to say about that. So again, the super draft today is at 1 PM central time. You can catch it online. I believe that's the only place it's going to be, uh, anymore at this point. So, so go check that one out. Thanks for joining us for the 126th sound of the loons podcast presented by Alina health orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow me at Steve Venturis. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. Mm